I will at this point um, start the seminar to discuss um, what we are going to be speaking about. I, I will be chairing the uh, session uh, this afternoon. I'm head, uh, head of um, the youth team at Hodge Jones and Allen, and I am uh, chair of the Youth Practitioners Association um, in, in sponsorship and hosting rights with 25 Bedford Row um, this afternoon. I also have with me this afternoon is um, Leah Connolly. She is a solicitor at Somewhat Miller Walker. She is also a, um, the secretary of the Youth Practitioner Association. Um, she will be speaking about no comments at the police station. Um, she, Leah specializes in defending young people at the police station, magistrates courts and youth courts. Leah understands the importance of building a relationship of trust and the need for continuity when representing young and vulnerable defendants. She is known for her skilled representations to these clients such that she is often called upon by, young offend, uh, by the youth offending team and local authorities to advise and represent young people. Leah is extremely passionate about ensuring young people are aware of their rights within the criminal justice system. She is also striving to ensure the court proceedings and criminal records, records are avoided for young people where possible. Leah represents clients charged with a wide range of offences and her practice extends from, min from minor offences to the most serious and complex offences, including murder and sexual offences. Uh, we also have uh, Toby Smith from 25 Bedford Row, who will be discussing certificates for assigned advocates for us this afternoon. He was called to the bar in 2016. He is a defence specialist covering all aspects of criminal law in the Crown Court, um, from the Crown Court, to the youth courts and magistrates courts. His experience in defending all manner of criminal cases, including violence, public order offences, drugs, dishonesty, and sexual offences. Prior to joining 25 Bradford Row, he worked as a paralegal at two of the UK's leading law and human rights firms, Hickman Rose and Lee Day. He gained experience in criminal law inquests, particularly those relating to the deaths of mental health and patients and deaths of the hands of the police civil actions against the police and judicial re reviews of CPS charging decisions. Toby had a great affiliation with young people, hence his stability was dealing with views in the justice system. Before coming to the bar, Toby was a personal tutor specialising in helping children with special educational needs. He is praised by those who instruct him from his sensitive handling of a case. To Toby also volunteers to act as a legal advisor at the Black Lives Matter protests. Finally, Lisa, will be, Lisa Wilson will be discussing special measures in the Crown Court. Lisa was called to the bar in 2006. She specialises in defence practice, uh, she is a specialist defence practitioner, instructed in cases and covering all aspects of criminal law, including multi-handed murders, drugs conspiracies, armed robberies, kidnaps, and serious sexual offences, both as Lee Junior and Junior alone. Her practice focuses particularly on young and vulnerable defendants and witnesses. She is ranked as a leader in crime in the Legal 500 and recommended as a leading junior in Chambers UK. Renowned for her fearlessness in court and friendliness outside the courtroom, Lisa is greatly valued by those she, who instruct her. She is highly committed to the defence of those represent, which has resulted in numerous successful appearances in the Court of Appeal. Lisa is also Vice President of the Associations of Women Barristers. She is also actively involved with women in criminal law and specifically sits on the Wickle pub policy subcommittee. Um, I'm really looking to um, listening to um, all our 
um, participants um, this evening. But what I also just want to have a little discussion with you about is the Youth Practitioners Association. Um, I would ask that you have a look into our website once you finish so you can see a little bit more about us. Basically, the Youth Practitioners Association was uh, founded by four youth defence solicitors, Mouse Dukes, Claire Dissington, Lear and myself. Our aim is for the YPA to provide a voice to pan-profession youth practitioners who currently lack an a united, um, united voice with which raise their concerns and respond to the consultations. The YPA has the benefit of having dedicated committee officers, Emma Heath, Gavin Kendall and Christina Josephides, committee members and members who all submit, support the aim of the YPA. Our members range from police station representatives, solicitors and barristers, all who bring their experience and expertise to this, this specialist and ever-involving area of law. The YPA aims to encourage and maintain the highest standards of advocacy and practice from the police station to the High Court to support, assist and educate those who represent young people in the criminal justice system. The YPA is a committee to promoting the importance of specialist youth representation and encouraging and maintaining the highest standards of advocacy and practice. I will now turn um, and hand over to Leah, um, who will be starting off um, this afternoon's event talking about no comment in the police station. Thank you very much, Caroline, firstly for that introduction and also for 25 Bedford Row for hosting. Um, and most importantly, thank you everyone for tuning in on a Thursday evening, especially as lockdown is now easing. Many of you attending this webinar will have experience of representing young people at the police station and you'll be aware of the difference between representing young people and adults and how often it requires a change in mindset. One of the many questions that we get asked when representing young people is why do we always advise young people to go no comment or exercise their right to silence as it's more formally known. You'll all be aware that there are multiple benefits to a no comment interview, to avoid incrimination, and also we're not there to do the police's job for them. However, the answer to the question, why do we tell young people to go no comment, is it's not always us that gives this advice. And the purpose of this webinar is to consider the reasons behind a no comment interview, whether or not we should be changing our mindset in order to get the best possible outcome for the young person. One of the biggest reasons why no comment may be appropriate and may not be appropriate advice for young people is the principle of diversion. Many young people can be diverted away from the criminal justice system, providing an admission is made. You'll all be aware that the principal aim of the youth justice system is to prevent reoffending. And since LASPO 2012, the diversion process has changed. A young person may be entitled to a number of out-of-court disposals, even if it's not their first offence or they've previously been convicted at court. Most offences should be considered for an informal diversion before processing through the criminal justice system, as there is evidence to suggest that contact with the criminal justice system increases the likelihood of reoffending. There are times where an advising no comment interview would be appropriate for an adult, but not for a young person. For example, knives. 
under 16s arrested for possession of a bladed article or an offensive weapon can be diverted provided there is no dangerous circumstances. The CPS has clear guidance that this, if this is a young person's first arrest, they're under 16 and it's simple possession of a blade or an offensive weapon and there are no aggravating features, then the matter should be dealt with by way of a youth caution or a youth conditional caution. This should be supported by yacht intervention, which involves elements of anti-knife crime education. Even if there are dangerous circumstances, an admission at the police station could help a diversion at court. This is particularly relevant in terms of 16 and 17 year olds, where the starting point in accordance with the CPS guidance is a charge, unless there are exceptional circumstances. Admissions made at the police station can really help to have a matter diverted from the courtroom back to the police station. ABH is another offence for which a young person could be diverted and not an adult. The Association for Chief, the Association of Chief Police Officers Gravity Matrix, or ACPO as it's more commonly known, sets out a list of offences and affords them a score between one to four. Offences with a score of one to three can be diverted. One is commonly referred to or dealt with by way of triage or community resolution and the name of that out of court disposal depends on which postcode or area you are. Anything afforded with scores of two to three can usually be dealt with by way of a youth caution or a youth conditional caution. Offences with a score of four on the gravity matrix are referred to the Crown Prosecution Service and usually result in a charge. It is important to note that it doesn't matter when the the admission is made. Despite what many police officers think, diversion is not only available if the admission is made in an interview. And another important factor here is no, there is no need for the young person to say sorry, and acceptance of responsibility for their actions is sufficient. Prepared statements are often used as a way of controlling the way that we provide information to the police. It's often a useful tool when the young person is unwilling to talk to the police, not in a position to talk to the police because they're too frustrated or upset, or perhaps in a position where they might be a little bit too happy to talk to the police and give them a little bit more information than we want revealed. However, one of the major criticisms with prepared statements is they tend to focus more on the serious offences and the lesser offences are forgotten or missed out. For example, a young person is arrested for robbery, they're searched and a small amount of cannabis is found in their pocket. The young person denies the robbery and admits the cannabis. And therefore the prepared statement should include the denial of the robbery and the admission to the cannabis. The reason being, as I'm sure you're all aware, you can have more than one disposal and offences can be dealt with differently. So the young person could be RUI'd for the robbery, but cautioned or triaged for the cannabis. A prepared statement could also be a way of raising child criminal exploitation. You will note from the slide that I have listed some indicators, which I'm sure you will all be familiar with of child criminal exploitation. Um, but I appreciate the list is not exhaustive. More importantly, I'm also aware that the young person doesn't have to speak to the police. And for the purposes of Section 45.4 of the Modern Slavery Defence, the act or the criminality in itself is, of, is sufficient. 
However, if we do have reason to believe and we have instructions from the young person, then putting it, putting it forward by way of a prepared statement should, in theory, she says, trigger the police's obligation as the first responder to make a referral via the NRM process. It should also trigger the sharing of information and safeguarding between the relevant professional bodies. The intention here would, would be to have the child viewed as a victim and not an offender, and perhaps even avoid any form of criminalisation. Often it's not us lawyers who exercise the right to silence. Appropriate adults who are not from the appropriate adult scheme may be more familiar with the criminal justice system than the young person, and they were raised on no comment being the only way. And it can often be difficult to persuade a young person to answer questions and put themselves in the best possible position for diversion when mum, dad, nan or anyone that they hold in high regard is advising them differently. Another reason for us lawyers having to advise no comment is that we have no choice. And that is because the disclosure provided to the police at the time of interview is limited. And by limited, I hear you ask, what do you mean? Well, on the 15th of May, I represented a 14 year old. He was arrested for burglary. And at three o'clock in the morning, emailed to me by the officer in the case was one line, your client has been arrested for burglary on the 15th of May, 2021. Nothing else. How am I meant to advise my young person to make any admissions if I don't know what evidence they have to support said assertion? Another example is I had a 12 year old arrested for theft of a motor vehicle and the disclosure I received was your client has been arrested for theft as he fitted the description given to us by witnesses. When I asked the officer what description, they said to me, oh, sorry, I don't know. Without the full picture, we have no choice but to advise our clients to exercise a right to silence and preserve their position. How do we bring about change? Firstly, trying to work in changing the mindset of the appropriate adults, work with them to explain the benefits of admissions, the fact that it leads to out-of-court disposals, youth cautions and youth conditional cautions. The opportunity to avoid court, more importantly, the opportunity to avoid a criminal record, and you get to travel to America if you don't have a criminal record, and also to engage with the young person. If you can work with engaging with the young person, then perhaps we can persuade the adult. I know this can be often difficult when solicitors are representing a young person for the first time as a duty solicitor. They're tending to be more likely to follow the advice of their parent or guardian than they are the stranger that they've only just met for the first time. In terms of disclosure, it is for us to push for further information, explaining why we want the further information and explaining to officers without it, the interview's only going one way, you're gonna get no comment. To educate the, the police in terms of diversion and remind them of their duty to young people to rehabilitate instead of to punish and to persuade them that a less adversarial system will benefit everyone involved. Well, that in essence concludes my whistle-stop tour on the reasons behind why solicitors may advise a no comment interview and also the need for flexibility at the police station.
Thank you so much for that, Leah. Um, we're now going over to Toby to look at assigned certificates for assigned advocates. Toby, you're on mute. <laughs> Thank you very much for the heads up. Now, what I wanted to talk to you all about this afternoon is youth court funding. And in particular, I wanted to ask you about, to talk to you about applying for a certificate for a signed advocate in, in the youth court. Um, now, I just want to check, because I think that that might be an old version uh, of my slides. So if you bear with me, I'm just going to send a quick email to Caroline and get them sent over. This is what you get for not pressing the save button at the end of your work. But while Caroline's doing that, so the reasons I wanted to talk to you about applying for certificates for counsel, certificates for assigned advocates, I have been warned by Caroline uh, that they are not certificate for counsel. However, that is how they are more commonly known. First reason is simply that I've been before the youth court on many a times. I know many of my colleagues where we have had atrocious refusals to grant funding for an assigned advocate. Uh, for young people in some very, very serious cases. Um, second reason, often among judges and among practitioners, um, I've noticed that there is often a misunderstanding of the provisions relating to the certificate for assigned uh, advocate. And the third reason is that given those atrocious decisions and given the misunderstanding of, of the law in relation to this, uh, I felt that given that the way that the youth court tends to hear about the law relating to uh, certificates for assigned out is from defense practitioners. Now I wanted to suggest an approach towards making these applications so that perhaps that approach across practitioners in, in youth justice, it becomes more unified and we can press the courts in, in a certain direction. Um, reasons for, as well that I think for me is that my very, very first case where I was instructed in the youth court, I was sent along to a quite a serious uh, allegation of an attempted section 18, uh, where a young man is said to um, have struck a, a man over the head twice with a baton, and he was charged with an attempted section 18. Now in my youthful naivety, I felt that yes, this was a case that deserves a certificate for counsel. If he was an adult, this would have gone to the Crown Court and he would have got a barrister. However, when I made the application thinking it was a shoe in um, the judge refused point blank. Um, again, perhaps in my youthful enthusiasm, I then proceeded to threaten judicial review against him. Uh, we got in specialist um, lawyers in order to do that. Unfortunately, we didn't proceed with that. However, that experience of being uh, of that sense of injustice that this poor kid who's been charged with this very serious offence and he's not chosen the charge that he's been charged with has just been rejected out of hand uh, for funding. 
I just want to, first off, I want to take you through just a brief overview of youth court fund funding and some of the problems with that system. I want to take you through some of the um, procedure for applying for a certificate for a signed advocate. Uh, I want to impress upon you two things during this. Uh, I, I think that everyone at every, in every arguable case should be applying for a certificate for a signed advocate and they should do so at every single opportunity that they have. And then finally, I want to discuss uh, the law and a suggested approach to the way which we might all approach applications for a certificate for a signed advocate. Now, you'd have probably read by now, as this slide's been up for uh, a, a little, little while, that funding in the youth court is frankly atrocious. It's exactly the same as it is for the advocate, adults magistrate court, and funding is only available for a litigator. Now, speaking with, client, with uh, Caroline earlier, she tells me that the litigator's fixed fee that you get uh, in youth cases is £300. Uh, now, if you want to instruct a barrister in, in, a, in a particular case, their rates are also similarly atrocious uh, at £150 for the day. And now that comes out of the litigator's fee. So if you only get your £300 fixed fee, then that's half of whatever you were going to make. And frankly, it's, it's a pittance and it's not enough to properly prepare the case. Uh, can I get the next slide, please? So the problems with that is that the only people, the only barristers, the only counsel who are likely to accept instructions on that basis are going to be the most junior and the most inexperienced counsel. In the case I referred to earlier, the attempted section 18, uh, in the end, albeit it was quite much later in my pupillage, I was the one who was instructed to do this very serious, relatively serious case. Um, and I felt that that was unfair. Now we know that the youth court routinely hears complicated cases and serious cases. In particular, uh, and the ones that are routine in the youth court, in, to my mind, are ones where, where there are robberies, particularly involving knives. And indeed, we often involve quite complicated class A drug supply cases where we're often dealing with complicated phone uh, and cell site evidence. And indeed, the sentencing powers of the youth court are greater than that of the adult magistrates court. And besides some of the consequences for the more general life, some of the sentences include a fostering order or a local authority residence requirement. These are not trivial punishments. And for that reason, the fun funding that we have is a, is a pittance and every opportunity should be taken to try and get more and to try and ensure the council is instructive if they can be. Can I have, have the next slide, please? Now, this isn't just a point that practitioners have been pointing out. The 2016 review by Charlie Taylor, who's got an education background, he's not a lawyer, he found that when he was speaking to practitioners, both in the courts uh, and among practitioners themselves, that he found that, frankly, the quality of representation that children have received uh, has been poor. And he puts that down expressly down to the, to the lack of funding. Um, can I have the next slide, please? And there's a couple more quotes from his from Taylor review. When he's when he's made this written this report, it should be noticed noted. He was under the impression that counsel, that advocates would be receiving five hundred pounds for a day's trial. Sorry, three uh, two hundred and fifty pounds for a day's trial, and not one hundred and fifty pounds. So it's even worse than what Mr. Taylor 
Mr. Taylor thought when he did his review in 2016. Unfortunately, there's been no real review since then of the youth justice system and the way it's funded. Um, can I have the next slide, please? So here's the relevant regulation which governs the grant or certificate for applied counsel. I just want you to have this early on in order to just impress upon you what the test is and what's required. Now it's regulation 16 of the criminal legal aid determination by course in choice of representative regulations 2013. Now the third paragraph is a first paragraph is of relatively little, little importance. It just relates to the right to choose a representative. And it stresses that in magistrates court hearings, including youth court hearings, it doesn't include the right to select an advocate. Now the meat of this and the thing, what we're gonna be focusing on today uh, is the test in, in, uh, in subsection two. So it requires that the proceedings relate to an indictable offence and that the relevant court determines that because there are circumstances which make the proceedings unusually grave or difficult, representation by an adult would be desirable. I'm going to come back to, to, to that in a second, but could, if I can have the next slide, please. I'm feeling very much like Chris Whitty at the moment. So how do you make the application? So the first thing to say is the application must be made by the defendant in writing, and it must specify what you're asking for, so what the court is being asked for to, to determine, and must set out the grounds for making the application. Now, often it, people attempt to make these applications on their feet orally, but it is absolutely necessary to have something in writing and the regulations require it. Now, what I recommend is because an application can be made in effect at any stage, I'd recommend that all of you have some sort of pro forma, because in case, some cases where it's obvious that it's suitable uh, for a certificate for a signed advocate, you can make an application at the first appearance, if you have a good enough pro forma, if you, you don't need to set out the facts in detail because the, the court will have the IDPC and you can set out your grounds very, very briefly and expand upon it orally. Importantly, an application can be renewed. So if the court says no the first time, don't be afraid to ask again and again and again as the case develops. When the Crown, Crown serves their case, then you, are, you ask for it again. If the Crown serve any expert reports, you can ask for it then. If you want to rely on any expert evidence, then ask for it again. Now, the reason for that, and I'll, I'll go and come on to this in a second, is because the courts are very inconsistent in their approach. And so you never know what court you're gonna get on the day. So frankly, the more times you ask, the more likely it is you're gonna get it. Now, in terms of ultimately challenging it, appeal is by way uh, of judicial review. And generally that's gonna be up on Wensbury unreasonableness grounds. Now those sorts of cases are very, very hard to win. And it's one of the reasons why there are absolutely no reported cases relating to the grants uh, for certificate for assigned counsel, for assigned advocates. Sorry, Caroline. Can I have the next slide, please? So as I said, there is generally a very inconsistent approach across, across courts. And as I said, in relation to the judicial review, there's no judicial gui guidance as to how the courts are to approach that. Um, and I'm finding, as I said before, often applications for reason cases which, which we would be obviously too, too serious or complex for the magistrate's court if it was an adult. And I am thinking particularly of those knife point robberies and those class A drug supply cases. Have the next slide, please. And 
while it's in the funding aspect and ensuring that we are all properly remunerated for the work that we do, it's important to remember that this isn't really about the money, it's about ensuring the proceedings are fair for the defendant. Now, we, there is a risk with it for it that there is a two-tier system of justice, one for adults and one for youths. Youths charged with serious offences get, don't get the benefits of counsel as of right. However, for many, many cases, adults will obviously get it. Knife point robberies, indictable only, serious drug, a, a class A drug supply, they will get a barrister. Now the evidence is exactly the same. The work is exactly the same. The only difference is the forum. And I think our children deserve to be properly represented, have exactly the same sort of representation if they can. Other issues, it ensures that there's a quality of arms. The Crown's perfectly free to instruct counsel if they want to. Um, and we don't necessarily have that right. That right. Finally, it's, it's in order to ensure that a defendant can effectively participate in proceedings and that they're able to advance their best defence. Now, there's lots and lots of reasons that I won't go through in, in too much detail because I know I'm probably going to be going along with this. Um, but the, one of the main issues which we often find with youth defendants is when you first meet them and you go along and you're in a suit, they're often very closed off. They're not willing to tell you give you instructions. They're not, they don't necessarily understand your role as a lawyer and they're not willing to give you detailed instructions. They're not willing to be open. You need time to build up that trust. Now, that's particularly the case where you have, um, um, where you have a vulnerable, um, where you have vulnerable witnesses, some of whom may be looked after children or have learning or development, uh, dis uh, learning or, or development dis disabilities. Can I, have the, can I have the next slide, please? So here, why you should apply in every case that it's arguable. It's good for the client. Build trust with the client. As in any case, any case where you have a litigator and an advocate, two heads are better than one, having two people looking at the evidence, thinking about a case, thinking about strategy uh, is, is going to help you. Now, as well, in relation to um, when you get the certificate for assigned advocate and you want to instruct counsel, the rate is an hourly one and it's a good rate. It's a £70 an hour, which is for uh, advocacy, preparation and your attendances. So we can help you with that certificate for advocate. We can do much help you much more in the preparation and advice at the early, at an early stage. And particularly, we can give you advice on funding for any expert that you need, any expert evidence that might be required to answer the prosecution case. And while I'm sure there are many, many of you which have forgotten far, far more than I've learned, their counsel may be more experienced in dealing and handling um, technical or expert, expert ev evidence. Can I have the next slide, please? It's good for the court. So the courts have recognised in the case of Grant Murray and Hen Henry, that cases involving young defendants require, and vulnerable defendants and witnesses require, special training. Now, the, unlike um, Charles, Charlie Taylor, they didn't link that to the fees which we received, but simply said that it would be inconceivable that we would act without specialist tra training in cases involving young, uh, young people. But counsel can also help. We can assist the court in making appropriate adjustments to the trial process to ensure it's fair. As a, uh, in relation to the client, we, have, we may have more experience in handling complicated and technical evidence at trial. 
and we, we may be best placed to advise, advise the defendant on such evidence. Uh, we also can assist in tailoring our questioning because we, those that have that, that experience and have that, that training are better placed to tailor their questioning to more, more suit young and vulnerable witnesses. And as a, as a result of the fact that we're able to do and funded to do more preparation, we can save the court much, much more, a lot, a lot of time um, by honing down some of the issues at an early stage. Have the next slide, please. Now for the final stage uh, uh, of this talk, I just wanted to go through the legal test and I put it up there again, um, and to go through some misunderstandings and suge to suggest a kind of an approach that we can take to um, applying for these uh, certificate for assigned advocates. Have the next slide, slide, please. So the first misunderstanding that, I, that I've seen, and in fact, this came up in a case that Caroline and I did earlier in the year, is that the test, first part of the test requires that proceedings relate to an indictable offence. Now, there is a common misunderstanding amongst the judiciary that what that requires is that it means that the defendant is charged with an indictable offence. That is not the test. The test is that the proceedings as a whole relate to it. Now, that arose in Caroline's and I's case where it was a strange case where both Caroline and I, my, my client were said to have participated in an attack on another boy who apparently one of the boys in, in the group that our defendants were part of had some sort of beef. One of the defendants started beating up one of the boys. Um, the others were standing guard. The other defendants were standing guard. Now, at the end of that, of that beating, my client, seemingly out of nowhere, was said to was alleged to have stabbed one of them, uh, the, the boy was being beaten up in the back with a penknife. Now, there was a very odd charging decision that my client was charged with section 18 wounding, whereas every other defendant was charged with simple common assault. It's a very odd decision. It, it wouldn't have been the one I've made if I was prosecuting. But that meant that every other defendant, in spite of asking on multiplication for a certificate for a signed advocate, in spite of dealing with very many, many witnesses over a five-day trial, including um, cell site evidence and expert evidence, albeit that was ultimately excluded in, in that trial. Um, they weren't granted the certificate. It was only when we pointed out on the first day of trial that this was the wording of this provision that the judge granted funding to everyone and people, you know, people got proper fun funding. And the second point in, in relation to this is, of course, it provision relates to the proceedings as a whole, not just the trial process. So that means that in some sentences, it may well be appropriate for you to apply for a certificate for assigned counsel. If you think that some of the available remedies include local authority accommodation and fostering, uh, and consider that in, if that was what was being asked for in the family court, that of course they would get a similar funding regime to the funding which we are asking for in or certificate for a signed advocate. Um, can I have the next slide, please? So the second part of the test is that there are circumstances which make the proceedings unusually grave or difficult. Now, one problem which I've had when making the application, when making applications like this, is that often youth ticketed judges or, ju or benches which have a lot of youth court experience will simply come back and say, well, we have, we deal with knife point with robberies all the time. We deal with drugs all the time. I know that this is a serious violent disorder, but we deal with public order, order offences at the same, all the time in the youth court. Now, my counter to, to that 
is that the, the provision and that that should be interpreted in the context as the in the context of the magistrates court as a whole and not just the youth court now a certificate for a side advocate can be applied for for adults and i have and i do and i'm acting for a number of adults in the magistrates court under a certificate uh, for counsel so so in that when you make the application you make that clear that that's the context that we are considering the test of unusually grave or difficult the, the application has a very different landscape if you think about the trials that magistrates courts typically deal with they're less than a day usually they have very few witnesses the prosecution very rarely rely on expert evidence there's very rarely technical evidence the maximum sentence is six months imprisonment you have adult defendants and witnesses generally you don't typically have um, issues with vulnerable uh, children uh, and indeed, you do not have serious violent sexual offences or drug supply or serious drug supply in the youth court where you do in the youth court. Have the next slide, please. So what I've done here, and in fact, I won't go through this in any detail with you, but what I've simply done is to set out some of the things which you might want to think about when making these arguments. I'm sure many of you have made these arguments on many, many occasions. I simply set these out now just to assist you, uh, and, and the slides will be put on um, will be put online if you want to refer to these. But I'm very aware that I am going over time uh, for my allotted time. Um, can I have the next slide? In terms of unusually difficult, so it's unusually grave, which just relates to the seriousness. And I, as I said in the slide, I raised some of the factors which might make things more serious. Um, I wanted to raise as well things that might make it unusually difficult. Now, unusually difficult is not the same as unusually complicated. Now, there are all sorts of reasons why a case might be difficult beyond the complexity of the issues and the evidence. Now, is the trial gonna be longer than, than a day? Are there gonna be lots of witnesses? Is there gonna be expert witnesses? Um, now, partic one particular thing to note is that in, in almost every youth cases, well, in most youth cases, there are always going to be a vulnerable witness. The defendant's going to be a vulnerable witness. And as a result, often additional preparation is going to be required. At the most extreme end, you have the Section 28 procedure where cross-examination is pre-recorded. But even um, in perhaps less extreme cases, you, you will have um, ground rules hearings uh, and you will have perhaps pre-preparation uh, of questions. Now, I'd advise you in that case to refer to the Advocates Gateway Toolkits that are published online. They, they're, they're quite extensive and I won't go through them in, in, in any detail here, um, but they can give you, they, they're a useful tool to show to the court that there is gonna be a lot of extra work required in, in a particular case involving young, young defendants and young witnesses. Now, the other thing to bear in mind is whether there are factors relating to the, to the client which make the case more difficult. They may be a looked after child, they may have learning disabilities, they may have a developmental disorder, they may have mental health issues. In the, in the case where, which I did with Caroline, which I talked about before, uh, the client, my client happened to have autism as well, which made it additionally difficult. Have the next slide, please. Now, the final thing I want to stress and impress upon you is that often you will find the court saying that, well, if you can do it, with the standard funding, then you should do it with the standard funding. Of course, the test is not that, it, that, that the fund, extra funding would be essential, it's that it would be desirable. Uh, often the courts 
get that confused. And I think it's very important to push back on, on those sorts of comments that you get from, sometimes get from the bench. Uh, the next slide, please. So finally, I just want to leave just some takeaways in relation to this. Always apply for a certificate for council if it's arguable. Apply early from the very first appearance and apply often. Apply often, apply every opportunity. You're more likely to get it. Um, have a pro forma ready so that at the, pro, at the first appearances, you can make those applications and it's quick and you can just do it. The other thing is be prepared to argue, argue, for the, argue creatively. Magistrates courts and benches are, can be sometimes absolutely bonkers. I had a case recently in the adult court which related to, um, which re related to possession of indecent images. Now the court weren't persuaded by the fact that the Crown had submitted a 15 page expert report going on detailed uh, evidence in relation to what could be precisely be inferred by particular file types. Um, and they didn't, they didn't accept that that made the case unusually com complex. But what they were persuaded with was that it was unusually grave, in spite of the fact that given it was Catsy images and he was only going to get a community order of it, they were persuaded because that the, it was unusually grave because he would have been branded a paedophile. Um, so you never know what arguments are going to work. And finally, the one thing I, I do want to say as well is be alert to possible opportunities for strategic litigation where particularly serious offences are charged and where um, where the courts are rejecting applications for certificate for counsel. I think one of the difficulties we have is there's no judicial guidance in relation to this. And I think a good case um, taken to the High Court, and thankfully not the Court of Appeal Criminal Division, given uh, the recent decisions that are coming out of there, um, would really assist in making these sorts of applications in the future. Um, I I'm aware I've gone over my time, but thank you very much for, your, for, for listening. Um, I'm gonna hand over to Lisa. Thanks very much, Toby, and hello, everyone. I'm conscious of the time and that it is a hard stop at half past six, so I will whiz through my slides pretty quickly so that there's time at the end for questions. They will be available, so don't worry if we go through them too quickly and feel free to get in contact with me afterwards as well. Now, Caroline is just pulling them up and you'll see that I begin with a list of resources um, certainly worth having that as a takeaway, because if you look at them, it will tell you everything you need to know about defending youths in the Crown Court. The most important document is a recent one. It's the bench book, which was published in March 2021. So almost brand new youth defendants in the Crown Court. Really important document. It's over 150 pages long and it sets out everything that you need to know when defending a young person in the Crown Court. Thank you very much, Caroline. And what's so important about that is it's a judicial college publication. All judges should be reading that. So it's worth having it to quote two judges during bail applications, uh, applications for special measures for, for the young defendant. And that's something that the Crown Court judge will know in fact, they have to pay attention to what's written in there. And you'll see that there's a few other documents as well that's worth referring to, in particular, of course, the sentencing guidelines for young children. And you've already heard reference made to the toolkits, and I really do impress upon you that you ought to go away and read those, bring them with you into court. All right, the most important principle to bear in mind when you're representing a young defendant in the Crown Court 
is this two-tiered one. Number one, principal aim of the youth justice system is to prevent reoffending. That's not the same as for adults, and it's always worth reminding Crown Court judges of that. And secondly, the welfare of the child or young person. And that's something, again, that you can remind Crown Court judges of during bail applications, during applications for special measures, and most importantly, during sentencing. The court is required to have regard to the welfare principle. It's enshrined in statute and in the new sentencing code. I've set out there what's set out in the youth guideline, and that lists factors that court should have regard to when considering the welfare of the child. So if your client is suffering from any sort of mental health issues, trauma, if they've been exposed in the family environment to drug or alcohol abuse, that is something that the court has to bear in mind. I won't read through all of those bullet points, but please do have a look at them afterwards. Some practical considerations. You probably have a sense already, and if you didn't, you would have got a sense from Toby's speech that most cases now involving young people are dealt with in the youth court, which means that if you are defending a young person in the Crown Court, it's going to be for the most serious offences, homicides, serious firearms offences, multi-handed serious conspiracies with adult co-defendants because now so many of the other offences are kept in the youth court. And one of the consequences of that is that there's a real likelihood that your client, despite their young age, will have been remanded. So really important in those instances to work with the youth offending team if you can. If your client has got a social worker, which they very often do if social services have been involved in their lives, speak to them and work really hard in putting together a bail package with those organisations because otherwise the prospect of getting bail is quite slim and it's always worth reminding a Crown Court judge during a bail application, you can put it in your written notice, what the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child involves and that is that a child should not be deprived of their liberty. It sounds like common sense but often it's worth reminding the judge of that. And just another practical consideration for you to bear in mind is with a child they may not be remanded in a youth detention centre, it may be with a local authority. So again, make sure you know where they are and speak to the local authority if that's who they're with. In terms of other practical considerations, there is a duty for a parent or guardian to be in court. And if they're not there, then the Crown Court judge is likely to inquire why, because they have a, an obligation to do so. So always try to make um, inquiries into their parent or guardian. Guardian is very widely construed. It could be cousin, it could be a sibling, it could be somebody from the youth offending team. And just a word of advice that I've learned through bitter experience is to speak directly to that parent or guardian, particularly before a trial. I've had cases where I've had mum sitting directly behind me in court with my client and it can really make all the difference if you remind them that they are being watched too by the jury by the judge then it often helps and when you are dealing with a young person apply for the parent the guardian to sit with you if it's somebody that you feel will make a, a positive contribution um, rather than them being hidden right at the back they should be sitting with the child if they can 
Another thing to please bear in mind when you get to the Crown Court is that reporting restrictions are not automatic. They are in the youth court, but they're not when it comes to Crown Court trials and sentencing in the Crown Court. And so you have to apply. It's a matter of judicial discretion and they have to balance the principle of open justice with that principle that we talked about right at the beginning, the welfare of the child. The press can have a say and they can often have a very aggressive say. I know that Caroline's got some experience of an aggressive press when it comes to the young traveller community. For some reason, that's something that the press often want in the papers. So really do go back to that welfare of the child to help the judge exercise their discretion in terms of not allowing reporting and apply before you get to the PTPH stage. Another important factor to bear in mind as soon as you know you're defending a, a youth defendant in the Crown Court is you've got to act expeditiously. You want the court to act expeditiously because when a child crosses an age threshold, it could make a real difference to the way that they're treated, particularly when it comes to sentence. So if cases are being put off, particularly at the moment with the pandemic, the ever-growing backlog that existed before but is getting far too large, remind the judges that actually you really need cases to be dealt with swiftly when it comes to young defendants. Another principle that judges have to bear in mind is that the young defendant has to be able to effectively participate. The court is obliged to take every reasonable step to facilitate that. And so that means that they, and if we could go to the next slide, please, you'll see some examples, um, special measures which should be applied now, there are very limited statutory special measures that allow a defendant to effectively participate when it comes to defendants. There are lots for witnesses and complainants, but fewer for defendants. So it's important to remind the court that it does have an inherent power and in inherent jurisdiction. And I've set out there for you the criminal procedure rules, which remind the court of that. You can be quite creative with what you apply for. Pre-trial visits, I've had my clients come to court before trial, I've had them stand in the witness box to practice having their voice heard. For adults who have been in, in and out of the court system, it may not be a very big deal, but for young people it can be extremely daunting and it can make a real difference in front of the jury if they just feel a little bit more at ease. I've already referred to sitting in the well of the court. Apply, apply for your client to sit with you. Obviously, if they're remanded, it's much more difficult. Very basic ones like using your client's name. It should be first name, they are young. Removal of wigs and gowns depends on the age of the child and depends on how vulnerable they are, but it's something to certainly bear in mind. Um, live link directions, you can apply for a defendant to give evidence either on a live link or, or behind a screen. I know that people often think that screens are only there to protect witnesses from seeing the defendant, but actually if it helps, your young defendant to feel more at ease and there is no reason why a judge cannot grant it. Think also about schools and exams which apply for young defendants in a way that you wouldn't have to worry necessarily for adults. Toby earlier on mentioned the case of Crown against Grant Murray. I've got the citation up there for you and it is an important case to, to read whenever you're defending young defendants in the Crown Court because there is an obligation on advocates to be properly equipped to deal with 
young people. Often, it, there's a, an important obligation on defence advocates to be properly equipped when they're dealing with young and vulnerable complainants, and courts may forget that the same sorts of rules apply to young defendants. Think also about whether or not you should be applying for an intermediary. There's no statutory provision for that, so again, it's relying upon the inherent power, and that case that I've set out there, the Great Yarmouth Youth Court case, is a really important example of how to achieve that. Apply for a psychologist report if that's something that you think may assist, particularly if you believe your young person might be suggestible. Breaks are really important for young people and ground rules hearing. They should be held in all cases involving youths. Judges should know that, but it may be that you have to remind them. I'm aware of the time, so we'll just simply go through these very quickly. Have a look at youth guidelines for sentencing. There's a specific overarching principle one, but then there's also those three specific youth guidelines. The principles are all set out. You can go, go away and have a look at those, repeating that welfare of the child principle, really important, and that sentences should be rehabilitative rather than punitive. And finally, if you are dealing with a young defendant in the Crown Court who has been convicted after trial, remind the judge that there is an obligation to consider whether or not they should be remitted back to the youth court. Obviously, if it's homicide, that won't happen. But if it's other offences, then they should be considering that. And it's particularly important because referral orders, those sorts of things can't be given in the Crown Court. So that's a very quick overview of young defendants in the Crown Court. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate that. We've got a, um, I'm just going to have a look at the questions. Um, so one of the questions from Luke Rigg is, are you working with legal advisors, Justice Clark Society or on certificates for assigned advocates? As you will know, magistrates um, lean on their legal advisors for advice. Um, Toby, Leah, um, do you want to step in on that? One thing I was just going to ask, it's unclear of the question, if you are, if, Luke, if you are referring to working with legal advisors um, in courts when we have a bench, then, and, and getting them on side and, and essentially having them advise the bench properly, um, the answer is yes, and indeed, in most cases, when there is a legal advisor, they, they always, they generally always advise the, the court properly on, on what the provision is, it's simply the interpretation of it that tends to be the problem and indeed actually I've in many of my terrible decisions that I've had it tends to be more uh, district judges actually who who have made who misinterpret the provisions in the case that Caroline and I had um, um, that was in front of a district judge um, if you were talking about more on a policy standpoint that may well be a question more for Lee I don't believe there is any um, work on, on that I I am working on that. I'm, I am trying, um, slowly but surely. And I, I don't want, I don't want to, um, to to speak too too highly just yet. But that is that is a consideration and something that the Youth Practitioners Association generally are looking to get behind to see if we can change um, or at least draw judges' attentions to. I understand it's unusually grave, and Toby's 
pointed it all out. But sometimes the basic the, the basic comparisons, a Crown prosecutor, and I hate to come down to, to money because it's, it isn't about money, it's about properly representing young people. But the only way we can do that is by properly funding the, the judicial system. And a Crown prosecution um, advocate would get 400 pounds for a youth court trial. And unless we get a certificate for a signed advocate, we are looking at instructing counsel at 150 pounds per day. So yes, we are we are working on that. Um, but I, I think what needs to be drawn out for for us is to remind judges of of that. And it's just because I think they're so quickly applying the test and saying we deal with robberies and we deal with that. Yes, you may well do, but the experience of the advocate may not be familiar with it if we are having to look at junior members of the bar. And I'm not criticising junior members of the bar. I think many people feel that the youth court is where they cut their teeth. And unfortunately, that shouldn't be the, the process or the expectation and what the Youth Practitioners Association particularly are fighting against. Because what we want to make sure is that young people are properly represented because something they do at 14 or 15 can readily define their future um, and that's that's incredibly important to make sure that they have are afforded the best defense and the, the best representation thank you Leah that's that's exactly um Brian and I echo that those points completely um it's it's very difficult sometimes to get assigned advocates um certificates and I think it's getting harder it's not getting easier to get them as well I don't know whether Toby and Leah agree with that most most definitely i i don't know how toby feels but often mine are made in writing and i put them for the resident youth court judge um it, it's normally the way that i i send mine in i know toby talks about making a written application and following up with all oral submissions um but but for me I, I i tend to address it to the resident youth court judge in a hope that i i have someone that has a youth court experience um and you know that the, the and would possibly have more of an understanding of where my application is coming from than perhaps just um, a judge that deals only with adults. No, thank you both for that. I um, completely agree. Um, we actually don't have any more questions. I'm just uh, making sure that no one else um, in the audience has any questions for us before I, I sign off. Um, but I would just like to say, um, I'll just give it a second just to make sure um, looking at the chat box, it doesn't. The, just to let everybody know, there's been a few questions about the um, slides and recording. Um, the the seminar tonight has been recorded. This afternoon has been recorded, and there will be slides, so we will filtrate those through um, once it's been um, um, dealt with and sent tomorrow. Um, and on that point, we have not um, had anything. Just Luke um, responded saying, "Interesting. Thank you um, both for those points." But on that note, I will say thank you um, very much to um, 25 Bedford Row uh, for letting us co-host this event with the Youth Practitioner Association, um, looking at no comment with Leah at the police station, uh, looking um, at a cert for assigned advocates uh, with um, Toby. And thank you, Lisa, for um, whizzing us through special um, measures in the, uh, the Crown Court. And we're really grateful for that. Um, as I said, the slides will be available and thank you so much and have a good evening all. Thank you.